following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, episode 805 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and indeed, the scholarly Brittany Page. I love that <laughs> you thought that someone called Sweepy a rat the other day uh. on the street, <laughs> and you told me the story, and you weren't even upset it's not like you were angry you were just kind of confused about how they could be calling her a rat but then you quickly discovered they weren't actually talking about sweepy they were talking about a rat yeah well so he let me paint a picture for you so i'm walking down the street down the sidewalk with sweepy on a leash and a guy is approaching me Mm -hmm. and he's talking on the phone his headphones or whatever and he's like that's a that's a that's a big fucking rat <laughs> and like it's sweepy and and it wasn't a part of the conversation or it didn't seem anyway so i was confused normally i might like hey fuck you dude but i didn't <laughs> and like five steps in front of me where he had just been mm-hmm. is a giant fucking dead rat yeah. on the sidewalk <laughs> huge huge <laughs> substantial tail yeah, like, like not quite half sweepy size, but a big, a giant fucking dead rat. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was there for over 24 hours, a full 24 hours. I I entertained the thought of putting some gloves on. and uh, What gloves are you going to put on? Gloves that I used to pick up the dead birds outside, for example. I've mm. been having to tend to some dead animals lately unfortunately yeah Uh, it was sad with the dead birds there was a a nest right above our front door and i think like three birds ended up falling out of it and we found these little tiny birds but um this yeah the rat was pretty gross eventually it got cleaned up and there was some sort of spray in the general area so i wonder if there's like a patrol that goes out to collect rats that are in public areas and like deal with the problem maybe uh, I, I didn't in my estimation i thought it was just the homeowner who's like i can't have this fucking dead rat in front of my place yeah i guess it'll have to become to me yeah. and then they just hosed it down well, i didn't it, think it was some sanitary spray well it didn't look it was only like a an even circle though and if, oh. you, if you're if you're going to be spraying something down then the water is going to yeah, leak yeah. further maybe beyond so. a circle yeah maybe so so i i think it was like a cleaned up by an official but it's a weird Someone thing. Someone deputized. Yeah. Rat patrol. It's a weird thing that everyone just kind of like walked by it. You said someone almost stepped on it and screamed. Well, yeah, again. So it was, an, you know, you have a dog, you take him out often. Yes. And it was another time with me and Sweepy down there. And a lady's lovingly, oh my God, look at this dog. <laughs> oh, no. Not looking where she's walking. Oh, no. Goes to take another step. Steps not on it, but around it. Ooh. Just by happenstance, her foot didn't fall on the rat. Ooh. And she ah, she freaked out. 
when she realized what was right there. Because, you know, in the moment, maybe yeah. she doesn't even know it's dead. Yeah. There's just this giant, really sleepy rat laying on the sidewalk. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if with the heat, I don't know if they become more... Prone to death? Not more prone to death, but I feel like I've had more close encounters with them lately in the summer months. Like, they are... They, they lose that... That that edge, that scared edge. I don't know what's going on, but they were. We saw two of them run into the yard while Sweepy was doing her business one morning. Two giant ones ran through like across from our neighbor, through ours into the next neighbor, and then just kept on going. Yeah, and so I'm I'm just seeing them during hours that you don't normally like. They're they're one with us. They're living their lives alongside us. And that hasn't been how it's been. So I don't know if that's a unique summertime rat behavior or... Because what is what do you say about the alley once the sun goes down? Well, it belongs to the rats. It belongs to the rats. Yeah. <laughs> you don't go out there. You don't go out there. <laughs> I try not to go out there <laughs> at all at this point. <laughs> so Sweepy. Yeah. Pretty great. She... Almost five months old. Yes. Yes. And uh, pretty happy. All her teeth are fucking falling out. Yeah. Which is pretty weird. I mean, part of it is you're ripping them all out. I'm not but ripping the teeth out. You've ripped several out. No, I don't. You're pinning say, her down and quit, you're ripping them out. saying the word rip. <laughs> when they turn all janky rip. and sideways, yeah. not pointing down. Mm-hmm. I don't want her to like pierce her gum or swallow a tooth. Right. So I pin her down and grab a pair of pliers. No. <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's doing really well. I, it's been it's been a journey with some difficult behaviors sometimes, but she's she's doing pretty good. She loves people. She went to the dog park for the first time. Oh, that, I did want to talk about that. She's finally fully vaccinated, finally able to do her thing. We didn't talk about that last time, right? No, but her, you know, she's always exposed to dogs walking by because there's a lot of dogs in this area and we live in the city, obviously. So she's exposed to them for just brief periods of time. And she through the fence, usually. Yeah, she gets she gets along with dogs. We haven't noticed any any kind of concern. And then, of course, when Aaron came to stay with us from Embrace the Void, he brought his dog and they played and played and played and his dog is much bigger than Sweepy and she still loved playing. Yeah. And then we brought her to the dog park and it was only giant dogs running around aggressively playing. Yeah, well. And she tried to take shelter with another family. Yeah, well that was my that was my takeaway <laughs> is that much like Popeye she doesn't give a shit too much about other dogs. She really like a, 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 every dog dog every dog owner they bring their dogs right into the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, every dog owner would come in with their animal. Yeah, and Sweepy would rush to greet the owner. Yeah, and like fuck you, I don't care about you, dog. Yeah, who's this human you brought with you? Right. She seems to <laughs> really be interested in people. Yeah, and so. she get, she gets desperate while we're on walks. Every person that passes by. She starts wiggling her butt, trying she, to get them to pay attention to her. She also seems confused by people who don't give a fuck about her. Yeah, she's like, what? What is that? It, it doesn't compute. I just got rejected. You, you see me, right? I'm really <laughs> fucking cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, so let's just get into this. We got, listen. Linda. L- Linda, listen, <laughs> Linda. Uh, I've I've been very pleased with how the committee has been handling 
these these hearings. I almost said this trial. It is not a trial. Mm-hmm. I think they've been very artful and strategic, and um, they are, I believe, doing the public a good relative to disseminating the information in the order that they are. I worried. I mean, there was one case, and this happened yesterday, where Benny Thompson heard a reporter. I, I found out about this yesterday. I don't know if it happened yesterday. Heard from a reporter something about Jenny Thomas. Says, well, it's like, oh, well, we got to get her also here to testify. Mm-hmm. Rather than having already had the information through the investigative process. Mm-hmm. That's a problem, I think. Well, because of this new reporting that came out that she was um, in email correspondence with John Eastman. That's right. The architect of the plan to overthrow the government through overturning the election by using Mike Pence to refuse to certify the Electoral College votes. And a large part of the January 6th committee hearing yesterday on Thursday involved a lot about John Eastman's pressure that yeah. that he was putting on Mike Pence specifically to overturn the election results. Enter then Jenny Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas, who, again, we will repeat, not only pressured the White House through Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff, to overturn the election. Also, we talked about it last time, emailed 29 Arizona state legislators to do the same. She is in this thing as thick as it can be with, and then let me also say this to, to, to Noah, a caller from last episode, who implored me to mention that um, John Eastman, this lawyer we're talking about, uh, Professor Emeritus, I believe, at Chapman University. Hmm. I mean, Dr. John Eastman, uh, that he clerked for, for uh, Clarence Thomas. And I mm-hmm. said, well, really not doesn't really come into play. Well, now that we have all this new information, it does come into play because Jenny Thomas is now emailing with John Eastman, who is the architect of this legal insurrection, giving, attempting to give Mike Pence a legal justification for either not certifying or refusing to take part of it and then having it be sent back to the States. She is also emailing that guy. Hi, so this new story from the New York Times describes emails between two lawyers who were working with Donald Trump and the Trump campaign after the election. They appear to reveal that one lawyer, John Eastman, he's well-connected among conservatives, a former Supreme Court clerk, that Eastman had insight into the internal deliberations of the Supreme Court, and another lawyer was using that information with him to look at ramping up their legal battle with an expectation of chaos on January 6th. So in these emails, the New York Times says that Eastman on Christmas Eve 2020 wrote, so the odds are not based on the legal merits, but an assessment of the justices' spines. And I understand that there is a heated fight underway. Eastman then says, for those willing to do their duty, that would be on the Supreme Court, we should help them by giving them a Wisconsin cert petition to add into the mix. 
So that appears to be Eastman using his familiarity with the high court to plot out what Donald Trump should do to try to overturn the the election result. And then this second lawyer comes in. He's assisting the Trump campaign, too. His name's Kenneth Chesbro. He replies to Eastman that the odds of action before January 6th will become more favorable if the justices start to fear that there will be wild chaos on January 6th unless they rule by then either way. So you see there that according to this report, there was discussion of how this effort by Trump to block the election using the courts could be considered at the same time that they were expecting his supporters to descend on Washington, this potentially intimidating moment, and how those two things, these two parts of the plan were fitting together. The Times also says that these emails were obtained by the House Select Committee when they got access to hundreds of Eastman emails in recent weeks. I should add that the CNN has reached out to the House Committee. They're not commenting on this report. But Brianna and John, we do know that today the House's public hearing will be focused on this pressure campaign aimed at the vice president, Mike Pence. And from what the committee has said, their findings about Pence are as much about him as they are about what Eastman was trying to do on behalf of Donald Trump. So we will be hearing more about Eastman today and about his emails. All right, Caitlin, important reporting. Thank you very much. Now, let me explain this in another way. Remember when the draft verdict from the Supreme Court penned by Alito, authored by Alito, came out, and Republicans were up in arms. How dare they leak the private deliberations? This is a draft. The the, the justices should be free to talk among one another without fear of that being made public. Right. Well, it's, it's, uh, here we go, it's fucking crickets time on the part of the Republicans when they find this out. That, and then I'm explaining here. So, John Eastman... Somehow, I wonder how, hand on chin, <laughs> he was able to have such an insight understanding of the of the private deliberations and the interpersonal goings on of the Supreme Court, and he was tailoring his strategy relative to the insurrection around that knowledge. So either he's got a plant, he's got a mole inside the Supreme Court by way of a clerk or maybe a justice. Or his good pal and email correspondent friend, Jenny Thomas, is giving him the what for and the scoop based on her conversations with her husband, Clarence Thomas. Well, and I I loved that part of the clip, too, because you hear these conservatives whining about the leaked draft opinion and people protesting in front of the justices' homes and how this is creating public pressure, which is not... The point that they don't want this to be happening to the Supreme Court justices. And yet here you have conservatives behind the scenes that were wanting to use those exact same tactics. Yeah. That were hoping for a pressure campaign. That's exactly right. And can we just take a a moment with all of this going on and Justice Sonia Sotomayor appeared at an event yesterday. Is this... And is, is praised this, Clarence yeah, Thomas. God damn. Said he is a man who cares deeply about the court as an institution. Well, you know what I care about deeply as an institution? The United States of America and her democracy. Fuck. What is with these people? RBG being best goddamn friends with Scalia. Sotomayor, just effusive praise of Clarence Thomas, who is a scoundrel, to be sure. Well, well and... <laughs> So he respects the institution. I mean, 
can he respect things beyond the institution, like the democratic process? Yes. Can he recuse himself from cases that are related to January 6th, given that his wife is actively involved in attempting to overturn the election? I mean... Let's talk a little bit about... That would signal respect for the institution, right? You you would think. Yeah. Let's talk about Jenny Thomas, though. Uh, I did a video back in April, I believe, and I mentioned it briefly on a show... And we got a clip here, but I don't think it goes into it. But I wanted to say this before we we play this package. Um, she is someone who, when we talk about these people being in a cult, mm-hmm. usually it's tongue-in-cheek, that it's cult-ish, it's cult-esque. Mm-hmm. It resembles a cult. Has a flavor of a cult. Yeah, I mean, if, if a cult had a flavor. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm like, what is he going to come up with now? Um, yeah, she, but she actually was a part of a cult in like the 70s or 80s that she had to be extricated from, that her family had to to had to rescue her from, a legit cult that she has spoken about. Anyway, I did a video about it. Go find it. Just search Jenny Thomas or Thomas and cult or Dollamore or the smell or taste of a cult. You know, whatever you want to search. <laughs> But she has an outsized role, a unique role among Supreme Court justices' wives relative to her activism and relative to her being in the mix in all of this. Clarence Thomas, you're the best man walking the face of the earth. Virginia Ginny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, has some explaining to do. Like, what about those emails she exchanged with conservative attorney John Eastman, who the House January 6th committee says helped devise a scheme to try and overturn Joe Biden's victory? It's unclear what Ginny Thomas, a well-known conservative activist, said to Eastman in the emails or if she will appear before the committee to try to explain any of it. The committee is also investigating more than two dozen text messages Ginny Thomas sent just days after Biden's victory to Mark Meadows, who was Donald Trump's chief of staff. The second Reagan revolution is growing. In one text from November of 2020, Ginny Thomas wrote to Meadows, help this great president stand firm, Mark. The majority knows Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history. In another, she seemed to embrace a long-held false QAnon conspiracy theory that Trump had watermarked mail-in ballots so he could track potential fraud. She wrote to Meadows, watermarked ballots in over 12 states have been part of a huge Trump and military white hat sting operation in 12 key battleground states. And Ginny Thomas also stood by lawyer Sidney Powell, who spread the long-debunked conspiracy theory that electronic voting machines had somehow switched ballots from Trump to Biden. She wrote to Meadows, sounds like Sidney and her team are getting inundated with evidence of fraud. Make a plan. Release the Kraken and save us from the left taking America down. At one point, the Washington Post reports, Ginny Thomas urged Meadows to watch a YouTube video about the power of never conceding. In an interview this year with the conservative (laughs) website The Free Beacon, Ginny Thomas said she briefly attended the January 6th rally at the Capitol, but returned home before the insurrection. Ginny Thomas did not respond to CNN's request for comment, and Eastman's attorney declined to comment. My wife is totally my best friend. According to Clarence Thomas's 2004 biography, Ginny Thomas was born Virginia Lamp and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. Her father reportedly was an engineer, and her mother was an outspoken Republican activist who played a prominent role in her daughter's life. 
According to the New York Times, she joined her high school's Republican club in 1974. Later, at Creighton University in Omaha, she earned a law degree and then moved to Washington to work as an aide for then-Congressman Hal Dobb, a conservative from Nebraska. She reportedly met Clarence Thomas in 1986 at a conference on affirmative action. They married in 1987. I keep a sign on my desk. Don't make fun of your wife's choices. You were one of them. I, Clarence Thomas, not that the Washington Post, a friend described the couple as intellectual soulmates. The New York Times reported Clarence Thomas described his wife as a gift from God. Intellectual soulmates. So all of those like QAnon texts that you're hearing, like, yeah. did you did you hear the one? She was telling Mark Meadows, the chief of ha- staff of the White House, the, the president's chief of staff that there were watermarked ballots that Trump had had watermarked in 12 states as part of some Trump military operation to track the result against the law, first of all. I I mean... Unhinged. It is... This is nutty QAnon shit, is what this is. That the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice has bought hook, line, and sinker and, and is trying to spread certainly in her social circles, but among the highest ranking and most powerful people in the United States. Well, listen, Jesse, have no fear because Clarence Thomas is, he's so respectful of the institution that everything is going to be okay. He seems to have a mutual, what did she say? A mutual care and concern about kindness for other humans or something. Oh, he does, huh? (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. That's why he is absolutely without a doubt on board of outlawing abortion in the United States. So let's get to the third hearing from the January 6th committee because this is all connected. Jenny Thomas having correspondence with John Eastman, the lawyer involved in the attempt to overturn the election. And yes. again, this 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 third hearing really focused on Eastman and, and his pressure against Mike Pence specifically to overturn the results of the election. And there were, I mean, a few notable things that happened. And one of the one of the things that really stands out for me is they drove home the committee how much danger Mike Pence was actually in that day. Make no mistake about the fact that the vice president's life was in danger. A recent court filing by the Department of Justice explains that a confidential informant from the Proud Boys told the FBI that the Proud Boys would have killed Mike Pence if given a chance. This witness, whom the FBI affidavit refers to as W1, stated that other members of the group talked about things they did that day, and they said that anyone they got their hands on, they would have killed, including Nancy Pelosi. W1 further stated that members of the Proud Boys said that they would have killed Mike Pence if given a chance. We understand that congressional leaders and others were evacuated from the Capitol complex during the attack. We'd like to show you what happened after the vice president was evacuated from the Senate. Select committee has obtained never before seen photos from the National Archives that show Vice President Pence sheltering in a secure underground location as rioters overwhelmed the Capitol. At 4.19 p.m., Vice President Pence is seen looking at a tweet the president had just sent 
a tweet asking the rioters to leave the Capitol. After four and a half hours spent on working to restore order, the vice president returned to the Senate floor to continue the certification of electors. I think what is scary for me is that as these additional facts keep coming out and for some people, they're just validating what we already knew, giving more evidence for things that we already knew. We knew that likely many people there were in danger, including Mike Pence, because we heard the chants, hang Mike Pence. This really drives it home, though, that that from a from an actual proud boy telling the FBI that they would have they would have if they had the opportunity. Yeah, the, the, the other part of it that was very striking is the the concrete timeline that the committee has drawn across multiple hearings that, and they did it especially well in this hearing, that Donald Trump knew from testimony from several independent people, he knew they were in the building, the rioters, the, the insurrectionists. He knew the violent mob was, was gaining on mm-hmm was uh, zeroing in on the location of the vice president of the United States. He knew that. Donald Trump knew it. Mm -hmm. And then subsequently acted to put him in more danger. Right. So he can't say, oh, I I was just, it was just a tweet. Mm -hmm. What, what? He knew. Right. If anybody has the intelligence on the ground, it's the president of the United States. He's not going in blind. Mm Mm-hmm. He's getting reports from all over, not just from people in the building. And what's wild is we're not hearing from Mike Pence. Mike Pence is not there. What do you mean? The hero, (laughs) the hero who should be president of the United States of America. Come on. Yeah, that I'm getting tired of that. Yeah, I mean, I am seeing it less and less, to be fair, because I think that most people are starting to understand the criticism and now starting to get on board with the criticism. Yeah. Especially after this hearing where we learned that Mike Pence was kind of asking questions about, like, could he actually do what was being asked of him? Seeing if it was legally, he was exploring whether it was legally feasible for him to violate the Constitution. Right, he wasn't just like, no, I'm not. How much of a violation would it be if I did this? Yeah, he didn't didn't straight up reject the idea out of hand. He's like, huh, can the vice president actually just like unilaterally (laughs) choose who won the election? Maybe I can do that. Let me call around. Yeah, he did. He he talked to Dan Quayle. I mean, when you you really need to know about a constitutional question... You naturally call Dan Quayle. The vice president for George H.W. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Who spelled potato with an E on the end of it. Ooh. I mean, every vice president gets shit for being a dumb guy. But Do he, they? <laughs> he was, oh, yeah, for sure. That's yeah. kind of the deal. Well, now people are saying that uh, Kamala Harris can just choose who the president is uh, who knew? in 2024. Who knew? Is that? He, I mean, it's I don't know why. Exciting. Why did not Al Gore... Uh, do this in 2000 yeah. when this case was working its way up to the Supreme Court, just go like, oh, no, I'm just going to just do this. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to move on with all of this. But before we do, a word from today's sponsor, you guys. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. 
please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporter, Raymond D. Raymond D. Thank you so much, Raymond D., for your support of the show. We could not do this without you. All of you, all of the Patreon supporters, all of the people who listen to the show, all of the people who send in emails and voicemails and voice memos, we so appreciate you. You know, some people reach out to us sometimes and say, hey, I can't support you on Patreon or PayPal, but what are some other ways that I can help the show? And the other ways you can help the show are by sharing it with a like-minded friend, letting someone know that you listen to us, sharing the, the, the show with your family, whoever it might be, someone that you think would like the show. You can also help the show by engaging with us on our social media channels. That is liking us on the Facebook page, I Doubt It Podcast. That is following the account on Twitter, at I Doubt It Podcast. Give us a follow while you're at it, at Dollamore, at Brittany E. Page. Liking links, liking tweets, retweeting things, sharing videos, ga- sharing episodes. It games the algorithm. It It is so important. If, if you want to support us, but you can't do it on Patreon or through PayPal, those are easy things you can do by spreading it into your social networks and it, helping get eyes on content. It's a bullshit system, especially on Facebook, because they... They hit us up all the, hey, you want to pay? Do you want the people who actually click to follow this page to see it? You got to give us money. Yeah. Well, Ugh. and we have over 13,000 people who follow the Facebook page. And very rarely does anything that we post get over 10 likes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being serious. I know you're being serious. I'm, you know, I'm an admin on the page. Yeah, I mean, but you're, but you don't run it. I mean, the thing That's is, true. like, people will say, "That is true." Hey, Jesse, nice to see you posting here. It's like, haha, they have no idea that they're talking to me. Uh, that is not me doing that. <laughs> so anyway, that is uh, one way that you can help the show. For so sure. we, we greatly appreciate it. We love you guys. We appreciate you. So let's let, let's move on here. The, the the hearing continued, and they played. Lots of clips of different Trump people. Several actual, what I really liked about it was several attorneys who, they know the law. Well, yeah. They know what, what, what is, what is important, what is not, and what is going to be causing trouble. Well, and that's, I think, one of the things that was really strong about this, this hearing was that they laid out from firsthand witnesses, uh, what, First Hong? Yeah, exactly what was going on when they were in the room with Donald Trump, like specifically in the room with him, which was really nice to get that the account from the, the witnesses. But this next clip we're going to play is former uh, Trump White House lawyer Eric Hirschman talking about John Eastman contacting him on January 7th. And this is where things are not going super great for John Eastman at this point, because obviously the insurrection has just happened. Uh, Mike Pence did not do what John Eastman wanted him to do, obviously, which is announced that Donald Trump had won the election. And so things are not going well for him at this point. And he's he's looking for some legal counsel. Let's also, before we play the clip, remind everybody that this John Hirschman, Eric Hirschman, excuse me, Eric Hirschman isn't like counsel for Nancy Pelosi. This is a fucking traitor to the country who worked for Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. This is a MAGA guy. This is White House counsel Eric Hirschman in the Donald Trump uh, White House. 
answering these questions of John Eastman. Mr. Hirschman's account of that call. The day after, uh, Eastman, I don't remember why he called me, or he texted me or called me, wanted to talk with me, and he said he couldn't reach others. And he started to ask me about something dealing with Georgia and preserving something potentially for appeal. Uh, And I said to him, are you out of your effing mind? I said, I said, I only want to hear two words coming out of your mouth for now on. Orderly transition. And I said, I don't want to hear any other effing words coming out of your mouth, no matter what, other than orderly transition. Repeat those words to me. And I said, that eventually he said, orderly transition. I said, good, John. Now I'm going to give you the best free legal advice you're ever getting in your life. Get a great effing criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. And then I hung up on him. In fact, just a few days later, Dr. Eastman emailed Rudy Giuliani and requested that he be included on a list of potential recipients of a presidential pardon. Dr. Eastman's email stated, quote, I've decided that I should be on the pardon list, if that is still in the works. (laughs) Dr. Eastman did not receive his presidential pardon. Mm. That is remarkable. It's like, oh, oh, on second thought, yeah, uh... I think I'm going to need a pardon for my crimes. Again, a presidential pardon isn't because you held a bad legal opinion. Mm-hmm. It's for crimes committed. And if you send an email saying, oh, by the way, that, that, that pardon list of criminals who need to be pardoned, uh, put me on that. Yeah. If it's still an option. <laughs> If it's still available to me. (laughs) And uh, he didn't get that. And to further this point about his knowledge of his criminality Mm -hmm. is John Eastman actually did testify before the committee. And this was also revealed during the hearings the other day that he over 100 times pled the fifth, asserted his Fifth Amendment right under the Constitution, which allows us to, to, to... to not incriminate ourselves if we so choose, to not testify against ourselves for threat of uh, incriminating ourselves. Mm -hmm. So he went for the pardon, didn't get it, and now over a 100 times is fifth, fifth. The initial time he does it, he goes, I assert my Fifth Amendment right under the Constitution. But he Uh, knew he was going to do it so many times that he had to just shorten it. It was like Dave Chappelle (laughs) on the Chappelle show. Fifth, fifth, fifth. (laughs) Dr. Eastman did not receive his presidential pardon. So let's see what Dr. Eastman did as a result when he was deposed by this committee. I assert my Fifth Amendment right against uh, being compelled to be a witness against myself. Did the Trump legal team ask you to prepare a memorandum regarding the vice president's role in the counting of electoral votes at the joint session of Congress on January 6, 2020? Dr. Eastman, did you advise the president of the United States that the vice president could reject electors from seven states and declare that the president had been reelected? Dr. Eastman, the first sentence of the memo 
Trump starts off by saying seven states have transmitted dual slates of electors to the president of the Senate. Is that statement in this memo true? Yeah. Did President Trump authorize you to discuss publicly your January 4th, 2021 conversation with him? Yeah. So is it your position that you can discuss in the media direct conversations you had with the President of the United States, but you will not discuss those same conversations with this committee? Yes. Dr. Eastman pled the fifth a hundred times. So listen, if you want to go back 45 seconds or a minute, click back on your pod, your pod catcher or whatever, that's what they're called, right? Or yeah. if you're on Spotify, whatever, you want to rewind a, a minute Keep in mind that every single one of those times that he said, I plead the fifth or one, two, three, four, five, fifth, like Dave Chappelle did, that is related to something he believes he could be criminally prosecuted surrounding. And he looks to his attorney several times before he answers, actually. And then his attorney nods like this is one that we're, we're going to say the fifth. <laughs> so he knows what he did. And we'll keep ourselves in legal jeopardy. I mean, I've you know I've got the uh, I've got the, the we're going to keep here. ourselves allegedly allegedly uh, You mean out of legal legal jeopardy? Yeah, out of yeah. Sorry. I'm like, wait a minute. What are you about to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, you remember how Donald Trump feels about people who uh, plead the fifth? By the way, yeah, that it's mob. That if you have to plead the fifth, you're guilty. Yeah. yeah, during uh during his stint on the campaign trail in 2016, when some of Hillary Clinton's staff during a congressional investigation were uh, invoking the the Fifth Amendment, he said, "quote You see, the mob takes the fifth. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment?" That's exactly right. So let's so, just use Donald Trump's logic. So every single moment that he did that is potentially a crime having been committed or actions. Um, all surrounding one particular crime. Now, maybe not multiple crimes. And he did seek a presidential pardon. So this on its face to me really screams crimes were committed. And it's not just Donald Trump's free and clear did nothing, but all these people around him in his orbit are the criminals. And he's just the squeaky clean. Come on. That, That just doesn't pass the smell test. No, it doesn't at all. Speaking of how cults smell. Yeah, so... Bringing it back. So the main uh, point, I think, to all of this with the Thursday, January 6th committee hearing is something that you spoke to earlier, Jesse, when you were mentioning that John Eastman was kind of looking to advance this legal theory of how the election could be overturned. And it really centered on pressuring Mike Pence. And this is what the committee really got got to by the end was that this was a coup and they were attempting to find some sort of way to legitimize it including by finding a legal theory to back it up finally let's hear from a federal court judge the only one to date who has opined on whether the president was involved in criminal activity page 36 of Judge Carter's ruling says, quote, based on the evidence, the court finds it more likely than not that the pres- that President Trump corruptly attempted to obstruct the joint session of Congress on January 6, 2021. Page 40 of the ruling says, quote, based on the evidence, the court finds that it is more likely than not that President Trump and Dr. Eastman dishonestly conspired to obstruct the joint session of Congress 
on January 6, 2021. In page 44, Dr. Eastman and President Trump launched a campaign to overturn a Democratic election, an action unprecedented in American history. Their campaign was not confined to the ivory tower. It was a coup in search of a legal theory. A coup in search of a legal theory. And so this is day three of, of the hearings. There are going to be more hearings. But what I'm not seeing enough of are Republicans talking about how serious this is, how important this is. I mean, these are... Republicans that are being called as witnesses, like you said earlier, these are Trump people. These are Trump insiders. These are people that were working in the administration. That's because they're fucking liars. I mean, there were moments in this hearing where Jason Miller was like, oh, yeah, we knew. Yeah, we knew Donald Trump lost. We knew the data was in. We knew, we knew, we knew. And then they show clips of him on Fox News. On like January 5th. Talking about how it was stolen from Donald Trump. This was stolen. This is a, a travesty. This is completely antithetical to democracy. When he, he fucking knew. Mm-hmm. They're just liars. Yeah, well, speaking of liars, it's always a good mm. it's always a good segue. It's also an easy segue when we're talking about Republicans. Yeah, uh, speaking of liars, Barry Loudermilk. Ugh. By the way, great fucking name. Barry Loudermilk. Recently... Uh, there's, a, there's another name that they've been talking about, Cheeseboro. If only this guy's name was like Louder Cheese. <laughs> Then we'd have, like, the perfect name. Yeah, well, Barry Loudermilk is the... uh, I apologize, everybody. ...congressional representative from Georgia's 11th district. And he recently went toe-to-toe with the January 6th committee because they claimed that he gave a tour of the Capitol on January 5th, the day before the insurrection, when, of course, there were no no tours on the Capitol at that time because of COVID. Yeah. And he... Released, Denied it. He released a statement saying that the truth will always prevail. As I've said since the January 6th committee made their baseless accusation about me to the media, I never gave a tour of the Capitol on January 5th. And then what did the committee do? Well, they released video of him giving the tour, photos of him giving the tour. And they actually released a video of his tour group at the insurrection the day of talking about what some of their plans were all right we are basically at the capitol with probably close to two million true american patriots two million swarming and converging mainly from Constitution Avenue but from all routes in. Is that Jeff Spicoli? There's no escape, Pelosi. Schumer. Nadler. We're coming for you. We're coming in like white on rice for Pelosi, Nadler, Schumer, even you, AOC, we're coming to take you out and pull you out by your hairs. How about that, Pelosi? Go, might as well make yourself another appointment. I get done with you. You're gonna need a shine up on top of that bald head. Not yet threatening Pence because Donald Trump didn't yet give the order from his Twitter. 
those are listen. First of all, uh, part of that clip we didn't play was his uh, his compatriot, his comrade there, showing the sharpened end of a flagpole into a spear that he was going to use in whatever manner he saw fit, mm-hmm. a weapon. Mm-hmm. The American flag made into a weapon. Mm-hmm. There's a metaphor there somewhere. I'm just not, not smart enough to figure it out, I guess. While they're talking about taking out these politicians. While talking about there's no escape. We're coming for you. We're coming to take you out. I mean, I think it's very unlikely that the rest of that sentence is to Applebee's. He does seem (laughs) like someone who would frequent that establishment. Ouch. But this is ominous language while he's on the way to the insurrection and only hours before. The day before, he's getting a tour. And what we didn't mention, but here we go, is that this same guy... And by the way, there is some technicality, like Loudermilk could say, well, they said the Capitol was actually the the office buildings I walked them through. Mm -hmm. But this guy is taking pictures of nondescript hallways. There's there's video of him taking photographs with his phone of just random fucking stairwells in the office buildings of security checkpoints. Mm -hmm. Loudermilk gave a reconnaissance tour prior to the insurrection. And now he's lying about it, even though we have video evidence of it. Yes. Well, before we move on to uh, how he is suddenly remembering all the details of the tour that he led the day before the insurrection after denying that he ever did it, I want to go to a clip from AOC because, remember, she has been widely mocked by conservatives, including Tucker Carlson, Dana Lash, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, for saying that she feared for her life on the day of the insurrection. In fact, um, during the first night of the hearing, she reiterated that seeing a lot of the footage was difficult for her and brought up a lot of the negative feelings and the fear that she had that day, the fear for her life, the fear that she was going to be raped, she talked about. And Dana Lash actually retweeted that and made the claim that she wasn't even there. Right, which is a fucking lie. Right, and so... AOC has been up against conservatives questioning her valid feelings of having people threaten her life and then charge into her workplace in a violent way to find people and quote unquote, take them out. And she reacts directly to Loudermilk's tour group and how they mentioned her by name. Your personal reaction to being named in that and the threat included? I mean, I think it's been very clear for a very long time that I work with people who wish me harm, who wish me physical harm, who wish me political harm, who wish me harm. Um, And it's not just Representative Loudermilk. You have many members of Congress who have specifically used my name um, to incite violence. And this has been happening well before the 6th, and many people experience the 6th in very different ways. I experienced it as a culmination of the violent rhetoric, not a first-time or a one-time spike in violent rhetoric. That is an amazing point in perspective that people need to take on board. That for her, this was just a continuation, a culmination, as she says. It wasn't just a a one-off moment. That she has been vilified 
I mean, she's speaking extemporaneously, so I'm not going to dissect her words. For someone to wish you political harm is kind of politics, but not to wish you physical harm. No one in their job, unless it's combat, should expect harm to come of them. I mean, I'll even dial that back. There's a few. There's a few occupations, but you sign up for that. Cops, firemen, whatever. But to be a representative in Congress, you shouldn't have to know where the exits are. You shouldn't fear that you're going to be sexually assaulted on the job by a guy with a spear for a flagpole who's literally saying on video that I'm, we're coming to take you out. We're coming for you. There is no escape. And Republicans, in response to this, do fucking nothing. There's no, no repercussions. There's no consequence for congressmen and women who incite violence through their speech. Well, and even for Barry Loudermilk, he went on with Laura Ingram and claimed that his story is never going to change after having already changed his story. Like, yeah. it's it's so strange watching these people talk because he's just lying. And, I mean, going back to your point about Jason Miller, knowing the truth, we know behind the scenes he knew the truth, and then he's going on Fox News the next day and lying. I mean, these, speaking with conviction in the lie. These people are shameless. And so suddenly Barry Loudermilk remembers all of these details after having denied that he ever gave the tour. Then the January 6th committee releases the video to prove that he's lying. And suddenly he's recalling all of the objects that they were actually photographing to help explain away why they're taking photos of things that aren't tour related. Even though he didn't even remember it. Right. Even happening. It was just another day. In the video, the, it clearly shows an individual taking photos of a security checkpoint in the uh, basement that no, actually, to the Capitol. <laughs> what they were taking a picture of is I took the family, and of course the other folks were with them, have two young kids that wanted to see the little trains that that take congressmen. So I took them to show them where the, the, the trolley was in the uh, the Rayburn Tunnel. But why do you think pictures were being taken of a stairwell around security? If you go to that stairwell, there's a golden eagle sconce that's on the wall. That's what I was taking a picture of. I mean, these are folks who have never been to Washington, D.C., and they're, they were here to visit their congressman, and so they were excited. Why not speak to the committee and just... Because the committee's never called me and asked me anything. Lies. To who? They never sent it to me. Your office never received No, never. Never received a letter, never received a phone call, never received an email. They sent it to you guys. I found out about it on my way to the airport a month ago. So when I get on the plane, I see my picture on TV screens all over the plane as some kind of evil conspirator. That tells me they're not... That means you are. You are an evil conspirator. Interesting, he went from, I didn't give a tour, to, oh yeah, I gave a tour, and here are all the objects that they photographed, and I know exactly where we were and where those objects are. Apparently, the guy taking the pictures was some some kind of interior decorator. (laughs) But he knows the objects, but then when asked... He didn't, couldn't say who these people were. Well, I, I don't know. I give lots of, I give so many tours. You just don't even know. Mm-hmm. I don't know who these people are. What? What, 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 what? 
So it's interesting to have all the knowledge of the objects that were photographed, but then have no knowledge of who the people were, Mm -hmm. that he was walking through the Capitol on a day when tours were not allowed. He's like, listen, these people have never been to Washington, D.C. before. They've never seen a staircase. They need to get a good look at it, okay? (laughs) They've never seen these little trains in here. They need to get a picture of it. Please, please. So Rachel Maddow on MSNBC, of course, covered this story and had Representative Mikey Sherrill on, who is claiming that she saw other tour groups other than Barry Loudermilk's. Do you know if there were more tours like this, either other tours led by Congressman Loudermilk or others led by other members? Um, that is is not the only group that I saw. You know, I, I, I saw groups down there, and I think what we've asked the January 6th committee to do is to understand what those those people were doing in the Capitol complex. That's what we asked, um, really, the sergeant-at-arms to get to the bottom of what was going on, and I think we've seen the January 6th committee working to do just that. So, so he, here's, here's the challenge I would, I would present to the audience. One, this congresswoman is being attacked right now by the right. That, oh, this is, they're just, she's a liar. She's a liar. She's a liar. But let's remember all the times that things were denied and then the truth came out revealing Republicans to just be liars. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to believe? Mikey Sherrill? or Republicans who absolutely played a role in the insurrection on January 6th, giving reconnaissance tours where photographs were being taken of security checkpoints. Who are you going to fucking believe? Well, and I keep calling the bluff of the January 6th committee and keep denying things because I really like the approach they're taking now of, oh, are you going to lie about that? Well, then we'll just release evidence that you're lying. Yeah. Where has this attitude been all along? I mean, I'm happy that it's happening now, but... Finally, we need more of it. We need to see more of it. So we're not done talking about Republican liars because along the lines of is Mike Pence a hero? He's not. Uh, We want to (laughs) remind spoiler alert. We want to remind everyone that these people that are giving their testimony to the January 6th committee are Trump insiders. And one of the people that you heard from on Thursday was Mark Short. He's the chief of staff of Mike Pence. Right. And in this interview with Wolf Blitzer, I mean, still, after everything that has been said, after everything that's coming out about how Donald Trump didn't care about the risk to Mike Pence, about how he sent the tweet knowing the danger that Mike Pence was in, Mark Short still will not go there and say something negative about Donald Trump. We did, we did find out in the course of the testimony that was released by the select committee in recent days that the then President Trump watched that and said uh, Pence basically deserved to be hanged. When did you discover that? Well, Wolf, I'm not even yet convinced of that. I know what the committee said. I also know the president denied that. It was Liz Cheney, vice chair. I understand. I saw the president denied ever saying that. And I think that the president and vice president worked incredibly well together for four years. I think it's why so much was accomplished from lowering taxes, appointing Supreme Court justices, taking on China, securing our border. They worked as a terrific partnership. And so uh, I'm not going to give much credence to some of those reports. The New York Times. What what is that impulse? Yeah, listen. That is why we need to keep in mind, this is such a great illustration of Mike Benz is not a hero. Mark Short is not a hero. These people aren't patriots. These people do not care about the outcome of the democracy of the United States. They might be working in concert with the 
the the the committee right this moment about this particular thing. But these are bad people. Okay, I think we've had enough of talking about bad people and bad things <laughs> and things that make us upset and angry. You mean 805 episodes in, finally? No, no. <laughs> No, I just mean right this on this episode, yeah, on 805 right. right now. All right, all right, right. So let's talk about two things that are 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 good, good things that are happening, we think. And the first one is that Biden signed an executive order advancing equality for LGBTQI plus individuals. And it seems like it's a very positive development out of the Biden administration. My message to all the young people, just be you. You are loved. You are heard. You are understood. You do belong. And I want you to know that as your president, all of us on this stage have your back. We have your back. Today, I'm about to sign an executive order that directs key federal agencies to protect our communities from those hateful attacks and advance equality for families. My order, my order will use the full force of the federal government to prevent inhumane practices of conversion therapy. This is the first time. This is the first time the federal government is leading a coordinated response against this dangerous, discredited practice. The executive order will also support mental health for children by addressing bullying and suicide and making our schools safer. Addressing the nation's mental health crisis is a key pillar of the unity agenda I announced in the State of the Union address. My executive order also will take on discrimination that children and parents face in foster care. I'm also going to support... Also support older adults so they can age with dignity. And also, there's a lot there that aren't. And we'll also do so much to protect and support our fellow Americans. But Congress has to pass an act as well. And that's the Equality Act. So the order cracks down on uh, dangerous conversion therapy, directing the Department of Health and Human Services to help prevent LGBT youth suicide by expanding access to mental health resources, and also calling on HHS to study and address the disproportionate rates of child removals that LGBTQI plus parents face, especially women of color. So this also seems like a direct challenge to what's happening in states like Texas and also now Florida, yeah, great. where you have Governor Ron DeSantis, who's now moving to end gender affirming care for minors as well. And this has pissed off the president of the Conservative Ethics and Public Policy Center. So you know that they're probably doing something right. Yeah. If that guy's mad, right? <laughs> they're on to something. Yeah. But this is also opening up the question question of what other executive orders can Biden do? This yeah. is an important one, but we want to see more. And we've heard him say, I don't want to govern like that. Yeah, I don't, I <laughs> want to abuse the executive order power. Well, please do. Okay. Well, then, first of all, it's not abuse. It, it's just not abuse. It's not like you're, you're nullifying constitutional amendments. You're protecting Americans using the pen, using the power that you don't have 
through the normal legislative process. Yeah, so now he is weighing whether or not he can take executive action to help protect protect the constitutional right to abortion in the face of the Supreme Court's coming decision on Roe v. Wade. So some of the ideas that they are floating right now are declaring a national public health emergency, mm. readying the Justice Department to fight any attempt by states to criminalize travel for the purpose of obtaining an abortion, and also asserting that the Food and Drug Administration regulations granting approval to abortion medications preempt any state bans. Yeah. So these are some of the things that top aides are kind of kicking around that he he may take action on. And I think that he should do everything that he can, especially, I mean, even if it's just for a politically expedient reason, and it's not even about protecting the constitutional right to abortion, which I think still, he should a, care about. A byproduct is protecting Americans. Yes, I mean, please. But also, if you care about the midterms, please. Like, wh- whatever reason it is that's going to motivate you, let that be the reason that motivates you to yeah. take action. And listen... I- I used to be someone who in prior years would have said, oh, that's kind of a craven political motivation, the midterms. But if we lose the midterms, we lose 2024, it might be fucking over, folks. Our country may not be able to recover from the conspiracy theory, regressive, fascist politics that will absolutely overwhelm the country. Mm -hmm. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So we also have one last last thing, and that is basically Yelp for cops that's being rolled out. What? Yeah, some local municipalities in Virginia are allowing people to rate police after they have encounters with them. Huh. Now, in some towns in Virginia, you get pulled over, you rate the cop. Two police departments in the state report, they've rolled out a program called Guardian Score. Officers are supposed to hand out cards asking for feedback and every contact with members of the public. People can then rate the officers in their communication and their fairness. The police chief in Warrington, Virginia, about an hour west of D.C., says the system is improving policing and helping to build trust in the community. Here's CNBC's Shamari Stone. Here in this small town of Warrington, Officer Molly Kimball patrols, knowing her encounters are raided. How you doing, ma'am? No, I stopped you today. Officer Kimball reenacts a typical speed stop. The interaction might sound familiar. Uh, do you got your license and registration on you? Yes, ma'am, I do. But residents pulled over are now being asked to do something brand new. You can scan this and you'll be able to rate your encounter with me, okay? Officers are required to hand out a QR code located on the back of their business card, asking for feedback on the encounter. Some cops were wary at first. We were all kind of skeptical because we thought it was going to be more negative. But after the feedback... I feel like a lot of us like it. I've gotten very good reviews. (laughs) I think that's just my personality. It's something Kimball's boss, Warrington Police Chief Michael Cotches, says is a win-win. What we started to see was more of a relational type of policing when it came to these traffic stops. The officers were just a little bit more personable. All right, ma'am. I went ahead, just wrote you a warning for today, okay? People can anonymously rate officers in the star-based system survey on fairness, listening skills, communication, and they can leave other comments. Chief Cotches says it helps maintain expectations. For 
way too long, um, good cops were defined as those who wrote a lot of tickets and made a lot of arrests. And those of us who have been in this profession for a long time know that that's not necessarily the definition of a good cop. But what about negative comments and how can you check to make sure the rating is fair and if cops are too generous? Supervisors check body-worn cameras. They can go in and, and review that footage and kind of find out what's going on and make adjustments before it gets worse. Many locals here in Warrington welcome the program. I actually think that it's a great thing to do. Um, in all honesty, especially in today's age, we definitely need to be holding some of these police officers accountable. Others hope to see it in their communities. I think this system here will allow the nation to be able to be the voice and give an, a more accurate poll on exactly what's going on. The Warrington Police Department has an average rating of 4.96 out of 5 stars. Now, Guardian score is also in Pennsylvania and it's expanding to California. Shep. Shamari, thanks. I think it's I think it's a good idea. Is it going to solve the enormous problems that we have in policing? No, but I think that this could have been a helpful practice from the very beginning. It's a start. Yeah. Uh I think there were a couple problem words in there with, with Shep's reporting. Like they're supposed to hand out a card after each interaction with a, with a resident or a, a citizen. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to. That doesn't mean they must. Mm-hmm. And also, if we're only allowing, and I'm not shitting on it. I think it's a good start. It's great. Um, I don't know that it's going to reform policing, you know, intrinsically. It's not. But <laughs> if we're only allowing police to police themselves using this tool and not like an independent commission, yeah, we'd see. We'll see how how effective it is. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, there is a complaint process that already exists. If people have a problem with police, they can go through the complaint process. But we know how that works, and oftentimes yeah. it doesn't go anywhere, and the cop is still left to do their job without any sort of consequence. So hopefully this actually turns into like, if someone does start getting a bunch of uh, comments that have, they, they have negative interactions with the public that something can be done. They can intervene. Before it escalates to them pulling the trigger and killing somebody. Exactly. Yeah. I, again, I, I mean, it's, I don't see a bunch of negatives here, but it has to be done right to actually um, do some good. Yeah. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Thanks for spending some time. Spanks for spending some time with us. We appreciate you very much. Your listenership, your loyalty, and your support of the show go a long way. You can go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. If you'd like to join the Patreon family, we would welcome you. We'll see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.